I want to just uh, share a verse with you and, and, and a few thoughts which I think are really important for us. And I think God's kind of prepared our hearts and opened our hearts up tonight as well uh, in this last um, hour or so. Half an hour. Hour. Wow. <laughs> Isaiah 43, verse 18 to 19. Uh, you know the verse very well, but I want us to really think about it and uh, apply it to our own lives. I think that there's been some prophetic words there that would apply this to you individually. And then I think there's a corporate sense uh, of the prophetic coming into, into us as a church. Isaiah says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a what? A new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it or do you not see it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And the prophet comes in, he says, what do you see? Do you not see it? I'm doing a new thing. What do you see? What do you see? I see a world that needs God as much now as is ever needed, don't you? Just today, just that horrendous thing that's happened in Syria. And then was it yesterday, the bomb on the metro in, in Russia? Uh, you see it internationally, you see it nationally. You, you, know, you know, with where our country's at. And you see it locally, don't you? Just this last week in that community in Norton in Stourbridge. Two people murdered in their own homes. In our own community, very close to us community. I and mean, many of you live down that way. And, and, and so when you see the world, when you, I see the world, I see a world that needs God more than is ever needed. It's what I see. I also see a church that's, and I had this phrase come today. I, I see a church that's broken and beautiful. I see a church that's both broken and beautiful at the same time. And there, are, there, there is church thriving all around the world and you see it in its beauty and its majesty and its power. And yet we see so much in church that's broken. And, and I don't want to mean this disrespectfully, please, but growing old and dying. And there's nothing wrong with growing old. We're all growing old. There's nothing wrong with dying. That's glorious. But there is something wrong when the church of Jesus is growing old and dying. There's something wrong. And that's what we see. We see a world. But I see a world that is hungrier for God than what we are led to believe. Honestly. I see a world that is hungrier for God than what we are led to believe. Some research that came out just a year or so ago called Talking Jesus. And it's really interesting research. It's probably some of the most um, exhaustive research that's happened in the last few years. It took a long time to do this research. And, and in that research that was, uh, was taken, not in the US, but in the UK, okay, in the British Isles, in the United Kingdom. And they reckon that 57% of people in the UK still identify themselves as Christians even though 8 or 9% would actively, would be a practicing Christian, actively attend church and do something with their faith. But 57% still identifies that. Six in 10 believe that Jesus was a real person. And just under half people surveyed believe that he rose from the dead. Even though they, they don't, many of them don't think he's the son of God, but he rose from the dead. So how you can have those two thoughts, I have no clue how you can work those statistics together, all right? Oh, he's not the son of God, he was just a bloke. Did he rise from the dead? Half people said he did. So there you go. Two in three non-Christians know someone who is a practicing Christian. Listen, two out of three non-Christians know someone who is a practicing Christian and most of them say their experience with that practicing Christian is a positive one. Not all of them say that, but most of them say that. Most of them describe them, us, Mostly as friendly, caring, good-humoured, generous, encouraging and hopeful. 
Now, there are some that say that we're a little bit intolerant and homophobic and all that others, but most people say we're those positive things. That's really good, isn't it? That's good news. Over half of practising Christians look for opportunity to share their faith. And listen to this. This is the one that blew me away. One in five non-Christians say they would be open to experience or encounter Jesus. So they're struggling to connect with church in many ways and maybe with the tradition or, 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 or a faith that, they, that, that, that previous generation inherited. You see, many people these days, it's not an inherited faith, it's an investigated faith. They're going to ask, they don't inherit it. Many people say they used to say they were Christians because they inherited it. But now people don't say that. There's not that level of inherited faith. So it's going to be an investigated faith. But one in five say that they are open to an experience or an encounter with Jesus. Now, if one in five say they are, I've done some maths, all right? That means that in Halzoin, if you're in the Halzoin area community, that's 12,000 people in our community. If you're in Hagley, that's over a thousand people in Hagley say that they are open to an experience with Jesus. We'd take that, wouldn't we? We'd take 12,000 in Hells Owen and 1,000 in Hagley. Who's up for that? Those people are saying that they would are open. Two out of three people know a practicing Christian. So there's something happening here. Do you not see it? Do you not see it? See, I am doing a new thing. Do you not see it? I see a world that is hungry for God. The biggest response amongst non-Christians is this. They would be willing to be prayed for by a practicing Christian. That's the biggest response. They would be willing to be prayed for by a practicing Christian. How many of you are practicing Christians? You think, oh, I don't know that I'm practicing. Have I got it right yet? I don't know that I'm practicing. You know the phrase. And so that's really interesting. Two out of three people know one of us. One out of five are open to an experience and many would say they would be open to being prayed for by a practicing Christian. You know, and I also see a God and I think Laura came and shared something just before and it didn't fit at the time, but I think it does now about, about, about the heart of God for people. It's the kind of heart of what she was saying, you know, that, that all that we do and everything, it's God's heart for people. And I see a God who is hungry for relationship now, as hungry as he's ever been. And I love these verses in 2 Corinthians 5 and, and it, says, it says this, And God has given us the task of reconciling people to Him. Isn't that amazing? God has given us, not, not me with the microphone, us, the task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ. When we plead, come back to God. That's what it says in the NLT. Come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I want to tell you a little story. Today, this afternoon, Dan and myself, were in a primary school. We had like 60 kids, year three, I think they were, in front of us. And we were asked to go in. It's someone who teaches, who's in the church. And to teach about why do Christians call Good Friday good? 
All right, and these kids were great. They laughed at our jokes. They got involved. They, they made loads of noise. They were great. Year, year, year threes are great. I'm in the wrong job here. And so and it was brilliant. And at the one bit, we, we got the cross symbol out and we said, right, we wanna, who can tell us what this is? And the kids said, it's the cross. It's where Jesus died. Then Dan said, and what does that mean? And then I stopped him and said, I'll tell you what it means. And I got two kids out and I got them to do a little bit of a game. And I said, the winner of the games is gonna get a chocolate egg, but the loser is gonna get punishment. So this little kid called Oscar looked at me like that and he was desperate for the egg, but he lost, okay? And the punishment was we had this custard pie that we were going to smash into his face, all right? It was a great lesson. And, uh, and the look on this kid's face was incredible. He was going like that and he was freaking out. And I thought, he's going to cry. Any minute now, he's going to cry. But the point was, at that point, Dan then said, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. I'll take the punishment for him. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? He's still got shaving. <laughs> he's still got shaving foam in his hair. I haven't told him yet. And so he, no, he stepped forward, and I smashed it in his face. And then we, then we said to these kids, "That's why we call Good Friday good, because you and I all do things wrong, and we all deserve punishment." But Jesus stepped in and took it for us. And you know, and I thought about that, you know, as I was reading that verse out, just, and you know, that's the good news, isn't it? That God loves us because He's hungry for a relationship with us. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to ever get over that. I don't want to get over it. You know what? He's saying, oh yeah, I'm over it. I'm not over that. That's amazing, isn't it? That God loves me so much that He's hungry for a relationship with me. What I see is a world that needs God. What I see is a world that is hungrier for God than we think. What I see is a church that's broken and beautiful. And, but also what I don't see is I don't see a move of God that is bringing in hundreds and thousands of people into relationship with Him. I don't see that. But I'll tell you what, I can imagine it. I can imagine it and I can believe for it, can't you? I can believe for it. I'm not seeing it currently, but I can believe for it because I know that God's God and I know that the world needs it and I know that the church is broken and beautiful and I know that if we could move a little bit as individuals, God could do amazing, amazing things. And what I want to talk to you about tonight is movement. And I, I spoke a little bit about this on Sunday, but I want to say a little bit more tonight. And, and, and as, we, as we talk about the, the, the church, as we step into this new season for us, as we launch a new name, and as we launch a new site in Hagley, and as we do a new building and all of that, listen, none of that will make any difference at all unless something happens in us. It won't. It won't make a difference unless something happens in me. And it won't make a difference unless something happens in you. And I think we need to look at mindset and movement. Mindset and movement. The mindset challenge. Listen to this study here on the mindset. Um, is there another word? Mindset. Wake up, Chris. In study, <laughs> people were asked this, okay? Um, is the goal of the church to win the world or meet the needs of believers? Right? Is the goal of the church to win the world or meet the needs of believers? Pastors, 90% of them said it's to win the world. 10% said it was to meet the needs of believers. But the people in the churches, 89% of them said it was to meet the needs of believers. And 11% said it was to win the world. There's a problem. There's a problem. We've lost sight of what the church is all about. We've lost sight. We think that the church is all about meeting our needs, but the church is God's instrument on earth to win the world, His kingdom through the church. The life of the church is the heart of God and the heart of God is to serve a broken world. So the life of the church is the heart of God and the heart of God is to serve a broken world. The mind shift, listen to this, the mindset shift has been from a church on mission to a church that supports mission. That's really important. We used to be a church on mission I'm not saying we, the church generally, 
And over the decades and over the centuries, the church has shifted from being a church on mission to a church that supports mission. We're not meant to support mission. There should be no parachurch organisations at all. The only reason they're there and they're there by the grace of God and we need them is because the church has shifted from being a church on mission to a church that supports mission. We've got to change our mindset. And I wanted just to show you this equation here. This is something that we picked up when we were away last week. MC plus MP equals MM. Multiplying churches. Multiplying churches. And that's what's in our heart. But multiplying, we can set up a site in Hagley and a site in somewhere else and somewhere else and somewhere else. It will not produce anything unless you've got MP, which is missional people. Multiplying churches plus missional people equals mass movement. God will do an awesome thing in our day if we have multiplying churches and we have missional people. Because if we just change the structure or just change when we meet and we don't change on the inside and something doesn't change with us, nothing will happen. Nothing will happen. You can change the name, but if you don't change the heart, you're going to die. As a church, that's what's going to happen. And we're going to declare that we're life central, but we can't just declare it. We've got to live it, guys, haven't we? So we've got to have a mindset challenge. That's a mindset shift change. Secondly, a movement change, a movement challenge. You know, I said on Sunday, Europe is full of great cathedrals that were built to the glory of God. But when the Spirit of God moved on, they didn't. And we're not going to be like that. We are not going to be like that. If you don't build a movement, you will only end up building a monument. And a monument just says what was there. But a movement says what is here and what's coming. A monument just says what was here. You know, this used to be here. This used to be awesome. And I've been to loads. I'm sure some of you have. And where there were great moves of God and there's a plaque. Do you know what I mean? And I remember when I was in my 20s and um, uh, I was working for a a ministry and and a guy that was mentoring me took me on a, a tour and I played for him and he spoke and whatever. And we went around South Wales and we went to some churches and chapels that in the 1900s, the 1920s, the 1930s were full of people. And we went into those meetings and these buildings were immense and were awesome. And there were a handful of people. And it was like a monument to what God had done, but it wasn't any longer a movement to what God was doing. We don't want to do that, do we? We've got to move. Or, and this is going to rattle some of us, we can opt. Okay, let's say, We're not going to do monument. Let's do monastery instead. Let's not do movement. That's too radical. Let's do monastery. A monastery is safe, secure and serene. Listen, I get it. I get it. The church was never meant to be a monastery as a refuge from the world. And that's often what church is for Christians. It's a refuge from the world. The only place God intends we hide is His presence. The only place God intends we hide is His presence. And here's the twist. When the church becomes a movement, it becomes a safe place for the world. Because the Bible says in the Old Testament that these cities of refuge, do you remember that? If you know your Bible, these places where people could go. When the church becomes a movement, a broken and hurting world finds refuge in that church. But when we withdraw and retreat, we end up dying The early church was a movement, not a monastery or a monument. And the early church shaped culture. It didn't try to catch up to it. So out of the church over the years, you get people like Voltaire and Newton and Jefferson and Michelangelo and Da Vincio, Da Vincio, Da Vinci and Handel. 
And you get all these amazing people that shape culture in art and science and music and literature. They came out of the church. They were the forerunners of culture. They were the culture changers. They weren't trying to catch up to culture. They were shaping it. And they came out of the church. And I said last time at the encounter, we talked about momentum is mass and velocity. And I think when we think about mass, our mindset is that that's people and we don't have enough. And I, I've, I've suffered from this as well, okay? And I've, I've thought to myself, and I know some of you guys are here, I'm not sure we've got enough people to start Hagley. I've, I've thought like that, okay? But when we were there on Sunday and we were setting up and we were worshipping, I thought, oh God, you know, listen, it isn't the amount of people we've got, it's what's going on inside them. And then I remember that story of Gideon when Gideon had to fight all those thousands of Midianites. Remember that? And he had a whole shed load of people and God said, nah, you want to cut them down. We don't want that many. And he whittled it down to 300. You see, Gideon focused on mass, but God was focusing on momentum. And it isn't the amount of people you've got, it's the depth of people you've got. And it's the willingness of people to move that will cause something to happen. So, so important. You see, bigger is not always better. The size of the mass does not equal the degree of movement. There are very large groups of people that have no momentum or movement at all. You just have big football crowds. You have a lot of people, but they're not doing anything. But when you've got some people who are moving in a direction, in a common vision and a common purpose, that's called velocity and that creates momentum. Small group of people who've got it and are moving together can change the world. Really can, they really can. So how many of us have ever sung or prayed, Lord, let your glory fall? Anyone ever done that? This is the interesting thing about mass, because mass, we have to think about mass as weight. The word glory in Hebrew is Shabbat. It literally means weight. And when God says, I'll go with you, His weight, His presence, His glory goes with you. So when we think we haven't got enough mass to create momentum, we're not factoring in the God factor. Because God says, I'll go with you and I'll go before you. And if He is glory, He is weight, He is presence, we've got a lot of mass going forward. Isaiah 43, 18 to 19 says, Forget the former things, where we started. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Say new thing. Just say new thing again, go on. Do it one more time just to make me feel good. New thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Don't you see it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and the streams in the wasteland. Are we ready to move? We're ready to move. We're moving towards a new community at Hagley. Can I just say, it's already started. And it's not them over there, it's us here. Because we're one church. And whether you ever set foot in Hagley or not, it's part of you. So we're moving towards a new community and we want to see God do something incredible. And we want to see streams in the wasteland. There's no wasteland in Hagley. They're all rich. No, they're not. Because poverty is so rich, it's so multi-layered. You can have spiritual poverty, moral poverty, relational poverty, financial poverty. And there are wastelands all around us and we want to see streams, don't we? So we're moving towards a new community. We're moving towards people this Easter. Listen, it's not too late to invite someone. It's not too late to invite someone. I had a conversation with someone today. I'm going to have a follow-up conversation with that person as well. Okay, it's not too late. If one in five people out there are open. It's good odds. It's good odds, isn't it? Talk to 20 people. That could be four people. Maybe it won't be. But there are people hungrier than what you think. The worst they can do is say no. And no one's going to die if they say no. But if they say yes, and they came, and they met Christ, and they found their way back to God, they'll live forever. 
It's mind-blowing, isn't it? So, so we're moving towards people over Easter time. We're moving towards a new space. We want to see this developed, not just that it's a new building, but so it's a new space to engage people. And as we're moving towards it, as I said Sunday, if you were here, that's going to mean change and difficulty. It's going to mean that from April the 23rd, we're all over on the back block, youth underneath, adults in the middle on the ground floor and the kids on top. It's going to be very cosy for about three or four months. But we're moving towards something. Do you remember I said on Sunday, change is hard at first, messy in the middle, but gorgeous at the end. But we've got to hold on to the fact that we're moving and that's how momentum is created. And we are moving towards Vision 2020 and a move of God unprecedented in our day. I think God can do it. I really do. I really do. But it's got to take movement. We've got to move. And it's not just us as a church moving, it's us as individuals. It's not how many we've got, it's what's going on with the ones of us who are here. And that's so, so important. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And, and what are we going to do? We're going to scale it down a little bit. And what I thought would be an awesome thing to do is before we head into this season, um, can someone just come and just take those off for me? Is, is we, as we prepare to move, we're going to come around the table, okay? We're going to go a little bit old school tonight. And we're going to come around the table together as a community of people. And I know some of you, I know many of you really well here. Some of you I don't know quite so well and you're newer to us. And that's really great that you're with us. And can I say, what's really great as I look around is just the breadth of ages and ranges that God is bringing together here. It's awesome, isn't it? You know, we've got someone who's 102 in this church. And we've got loads of young people in this church. And that's brilliant. It's hard at times to manage all that. I know the music's too loud for lots of you, not loud enough for some of you. Your lights are too bright, not bright. I get all that. But none of that is as important as what God is doing. We're moving. We're moving. It's so important. We're moving. And it's important because we're moving with God. And I think God can do amazing things. So as we prepare to move, we want to remember, not the good old days, we want to remember the reason why we're here. We want to remember what Jesus has done. The greatest movement in the history of the world. And I said this on Sunday and it wasn't in my notes. It was off the cuff. Was when God the Father moved so much by compassion for a broken, hurting world, gave His only Son who left heaven to earth so that I could find a way back to God. That's, I'm not over that. Are you? That's amazing. That God would love me so much that He would move out of heaven Jesus would move out of heaven into earth, so vulnerable as a small baby, so that I could find a way back to God. And then Jesus said, didn't He, on the night He was betrayed, do this in remembrance of me. Eat and drink in remembrance of me. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to take communion, guys, together as a group, as a family, okay? We're not going to serve you. What we're going to do is we're going to invite you to come around the table, okay? And to take bread and to take the juice and to say, God, thank you that you love me so much that you moved, you moved towards me. You moved into this earth. So God, when I'm struggling to even move to talk to my neighbour, or I'm struggling to move to talk to the person I work with, or I'm struggling, you know, with the sound, or I'm struggling with the way the church is, or I'm struggling with the new location, or I'm struggling with all this movement stuff and change. God, help me to remember what you went through for me. And so God, when I do that, then I remind myself of why I'm prepared to move. Because I want to see other people find a way back to God, don't you? Don't you? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your incredible love for us. We sang earlier on that your love never fails. It never gives up, never runs out on us.
And I think, Lord, we live in a world that says that love is God. As long as love, as long as you love, it don't matter. Love wins. Love is God. No, love isn't God. God is love. God defines love, not us. And God, love was never better defined than at the cross. When you moved out of heaven to come to earth, but then when because of that, you went to the cross, you took the ultimate punishment for me and for us so that we could find a way back to God. Lord, we are so amazed at that. And so Lord, now as we take communion together, I pray that this would be, Jane said on Sunday, a monumental, not a monument, but a monumental moment for us as a church as we move God in your purposes. And as we begin to see you do unprecedented things in our day. So Lord, we just want to say thank you to you and we want to eat and we want to drink and we want to remind ourselves of your great love for us, Jesus. So Lord, at the start of this season, Lord, we say, God, would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you propel us? Lord, some of us need to let go. Some of us need to let that black curtain drop. Some of us need to get under that ventilation. Some of us need to get that fresh oil again. It's all about movement. It's all about positioning. It's all about, it's all about moving with you. So Jesus, I pray that as we now move out of our seats and come and take communion together, Lord, I pray even the act of us moving to receive from you will be catalytic in our lives as we begin to move. We want to be missional people in multiplying churches, seeing mass movement of your Spirit in these days. So Jesus, would you come, I pray, as we move, as we move to eat and drink, and then as we move with what you've given us into our world. In Jesus' name, amen.